This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 13th, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. What should conservatives in Britain believe? Former Conservative Party Deputy Leader Michael Ankrum suggests a return to what he says are long-standing conservative principles, low taxes, civil liberties, and smaller government. He visited the Cato Institute this week. According to BBC, former Conservative Cabinet Minister Michael Portillo says he's a great admirer of Margaret Thatcher, but to invoke Thatcherism now makes the Tory party sound old-fashioned and divided. Well, I think he should have read my pamphlet first because I didn't invoke Thatcherism. What I did was to invoke the principle that a party should have a set of beliefs as part of the programme that it then develops its policies around because that gives it a personality and people will vote for it. And what I was saying in the pamphlet, which unfortunately Mr Portillo had not read before he responded, is that we've got a lot of very exciting ideas coming forward from policy commissions set up over the last 18 months by David Cameron, but I wanted to see a shape around which those policies could now be developed. And I set out what I believe to be the the very clear and basic fundamental principles and beliefs of conservatism through the ages. The great thing about the Conservative Party is that it's, it's always changed but it's changed in the way it articulates its principles. It's stuck to its principles. We're not an ideological party. We never have been. But we do believe in people. We believe in the individual. We believe in freedom of choice. We believe in all the different freedoms I set out in the paper. We believe in deregulation and the smaller state. And we believe passionately in maintaining our sovereignty. We believe in the family. We believe in protecting the environment. All of these are conservative principles of long, long standing. What we have to do now is to show that in the 21st century we've got a new way of approaching them that shows that we are matching these principles to the needs of the present time. With regard to taxes and spending, where would you act directly? Well, again, here I was setting out principles, and one of the principles I set out is that if you say that you want to give people the freedom to make their own decisions, then it follows logically from that that the less tax you take from them, the more they have the ability to take those decisions. I make the point in the paper, you have to wait until you can afford to do that. But the principle of lower taxation is very much part of the same principle that allows us to talk about the freedom of people to control their own lives, to take their own decisions, to make their own choices. And I think that's something which is very conservative, and I don't think it's something which anybody in the party from David Cameron downwards would have difficulty with. What about green taxes? Green taxes, as long as I think the danger with green taxes is using the word tax. I mean, I say in the pamphlet, climate change, however it's caused, is a challenge we have to face. Uh, we, we, we owe the duty of stewardship to the generation coming after us. And we've got to find ways of reducing our emissions of, of uh, global warming gases. And maybe taxes are going to be one way of doing that, not the only way. But I think it's very important we, we, we try and say this isn't a question of raising money for the state, which is what taxation is. This is a way of trying to ensure that people act responsibly so that they preserve the environment for the next generation to come. Okay, so you believe in essence that green tax, to continue using the word, is an attempt to internalize costs associated with the social costs of pollution? Yes, I think, I think what we're trying to do is to say to people there is a cost in bringing down pollution. And this is something that we want you to understand. It's not, I mean, I say, say in the paper that it's, um, there is no easy way of delivering an answer to the challenges of global warming and climate change. We have to face some very difficult and hard decisions. We have to make people realise that the cost of not doing that is going to be that their children are going to inherit a world which is in a very, very 
different and dangerous state. Where has the current government failed to uphold civil liberties? The point I make about civil liberties, I think, is a very, again, important one in terms of principle. You don't defend freedom by diminishing it. And in the face of terrorism, there's always going to be a constant pressure to say we've got to reduce some of our civil liberties. The principle of, of uh, habeas corpus, the principle of, uh, of uh, the right to legal representation and due process, the principle of uh, being allowed to know the charges that are against you. All these are very fundamental principles which have been established over many, many centuries as part of the British system of civil liberties. We get rid of those at our risk in order to deal with terrorism. And I think you have to have a balance where you say at the end of the day, if you do get rid of these civil liberties, haven't you given the terrorist a victory because that's what the, the, the terrorist is trying to make you do. Should there be a referendum on the uh, new treaty terms? Yes, I think that absolutely there should be. Uh, there's no doubt this treaty actually does move sovereignty away from the United Kingdom to Europe. And I don't think any government or any parliament actually has the right to uh, surrender sovereignty without the consent of the British people. Sovereignty ultimately belongs to the people. It's The parliament holds it in trust. And uh, everybody who has studied this new treaty regards it as an abrogation of sovereignty. Let the British people decide whether they wish to see their sovereignty move from, from London to Brussels. And if they say no, then that is their right to do so. In large part, do you and Mr Cameron agree on most things? We're both conservatives, and the reason for setting out this paper was, in a sense, and I say this in the introduction, was to give some idea of the principles and beliefs around which many of the things that he has generated in terms of ideas and uh, and policy directions for the future can be fitted in a way that people can say they understand now what a conservative stands for. Why then this reaction? Very good question. Uh, uh, I think uh, the more people read my, my paper, my pamphlet, I think the more people will agree with it. Michael Ancrum is the former deputy leader of Great Britain's Conservative Party. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Please consider making a donation to the Cato Institute at our website, cato.org.